everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Ladies Promoting Transparent Advocacy Podcast. I am your podcast host, Shay Pate. And this tune is called Wonderful. So I thought it would be a good tune to start off my Wonderful Women Wednesday. Sit back as we celebrate a wonderful woman. Here we go. And enjoy the episode. Today on this Wonderful Women Wednesday, we're going to talk about a lady that I never heard of until recently. Her name is Elizabeth McDonough. Now, President Biden has been trying to pass this infrastructure bill for a $3.5 trillion uh, budget, and someone is always getting in the way. This time, it's not the Republicans, but it's the supposedly independent Senate parliamentarian. Her name is Elizabeth McDonough. So we're going to talk about her today. And, you know, this past Sunday, September 19th, 2021, you know, they said the Democrats were dealt a blow when the Senate parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, ruled that the immigration reform policies can't be included in the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package that President Biden has been trying to pass forever. The position of this role, the parliamentarian, is a very powerful position unknown to many, not heavily into the political structure of Washington, D.C. Shoot, I consider myself pretty known to the political and legislature structure of D.C. and didn't know about this position either. So I decided to look up what does a Senate parliamentarian do? And then I wanted to know, who is Elizabeth McDonough? Now, as far as the immigration reform policy, I always ask my listeners to do their own research. So I suggest you guys just do do some research and see what it is. Now, I was doing research and USA Today calls the role the referee on major legislation. And they're not lying about that because, okay, the current parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, she was named in the position in 2012. So think about it. 2012, there's been a couple presidents. <laughs> so, um, up until now, so she done had a little bit of everything Democrats, Republicans. P- president Obama was the president, and then it was Donald Trump, and now it's Joe Biden. So, she done, she been in a role through three presidents. Now, she's the, there's, she's the first female ever in this role, and there's, there's only been six people in this role since the position was created in 1935. And they say that the office of the parliamentarian has its roots in Article 1, Section 5 of the Constitution, which says that each house may determine the rules of its proceedings and that each house shall keep a journal of its proceedings. Thomas Jefferson played a key role in the early process of of compiling the operational rules of the House and the Senate when he published his manual of parliamentary practice in 1801. Wow. So this role answers questions from the presiding officer regarding, you know, wording of motions and about the precedents related to motions or actions. And I know this is all legalese, but I'm just telling you what it is. It's all legal and legislative related. 
And they also offer advice about interpreting standing rules about legislation. The role, um, the presiding officer usually accepts interpretations issued by the parliament, excuse me, <laughs> parliamentarian, but the interpretations aren't binding on their own. So I guess that means maybe they can adjust it depending on what the person says. So let's talk about this lady that we were talking about on this wonderful Women Wednesday, Elizabeth McDonough. She's a lawyer, and like I said, she's in the role of the Senate Parla I can never say this right, parliamentarian. And as I mentioned, um, she began her well, I said she was a woman. She began her career in nineteen ninety as a legislature reference assistant in the Senate Library. Now look, she done went from Senate assistant to one of the most powerful people in the Senate. Isn't that crazy? Among many of her jobs, she worked as a trial attorney in the United States Department of Justice, and she was handling immigration cases in New Jersey. They say that this role is quietly powerful, so let me give you a few examples recently that she was involved in. Now, check this out. In, 2000, in, um, in 2015, she highlighted budget rules that made it more difficult for the Senate Republicans to rep repel the Affordable Care Act, former President Barack Obama's signature health care policy. Now, think about that, because, you know, they was determined to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. And ironically, with coronavirus, a lot of Republicans benefited from that, that wanted it to go under. But she received detention prior to the 2020 impeachment trial of Donald Trump due to her role in advising Chief Justice John Roberts on parliamentary procedure while proceeding over the trial. In January 2021, she and her staff safeguarded the electoral college votes from the 2020 presidential election by removing them to a secure location as rioters breached the Capitol building. Now, if anyone saw that live, which I did, you will you would have noticed that there were a few people literally grabbing like boxes and and they were grabbing the votes. I said to my friend, "Thank God when everyone was running, a few people picked up the votes. Now we know who made that happen." In February 2021, she ruled against, yes, I did say against, the $15 minimum wage in President Biden's proposed COVID-19 relief package being included per the Burt rule under budget reconciliation. In 2020, excuse me, in April 2021, she ruled that the Democrats can pass spending legislature with a simple majority using a procedure reserved for budget reconciliation. But as we know, <laughs> Kristen and Joe, they won't agree on anything. Unlike the Republicans, like Miss, Mr. Mitch McConnell said in his recording, they stick together no matter what. Unfortunately, the Democrats refuse to help the country out. And like I said before, if John Christian wanted to just go and be Republicans, I would rather them do that than be the two Democrats to keep stopping things from getting passed, even though people in their district can benefit from these. So, you know, that's really interesting to see how powerful this woman is. And like I said, I knew nothing about this role. So let's um, let's just take a listen on the responses from Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer regarding the 
immigration part of the bill that is not satisfactory to Elizabeth McDonald, the woman we're talking about on this wonderful Women Wednesday. Let me be crystal clear about this. Republicans are united in opposition to raising the debt ceiling. Not because it doesn't need to be done. So I want to make sure everybody clearly understands this. The last time the debt ceiling was raised, it was done on a bipartisan basis in conjunction with an overall CAPS agreement. And that debt ceiling increase covers basically what we did last year. This year is unique, and as you all know, I've been here a while. I've never seen such an effort to expand the reach of the federal government like we've been confronted with this year through not just one reconciliation process, but apparently yet another. So if they want to do all of this on a partisan basis, they have the ability and the responsibility to ensure that the federal government not default and they will have to take care of that. Now, you know the funny thing about what he said? There's several things funny about what he said. Now, that was Mitch McConnell. And then Chuck Schumer comes behind him, literally, and listen to Chuck's comments. I think it's really interesting. I'd like every single Republican senator to answer the question are they willing to let the government default as to the plans we are working there are a number of different options the white house speaker pelosi myself are discussing those and um, we believe that we must do this we believe it's an imperative to do it and leader mcconnell as i said is playing dangerous political games by not stepping up to the plate as he asked us to do and we did when trump was president now, on Monday, September 20th, Chuck Schumer, he was um, doing a speech uh, talking about Puerto Ricans matter. And I'm, I'm guessing he's in Puerto Rico, but because he's doing the platform, um, I'll tell you exactly. I'm sorry. He um, was at an event about urging more aid to Puerto Rico. And you know what's so funny? Just real quick. Um, I just don't understand how America has acted like Puerto Rico wasn't affected by the hurricane and don't exist. Uh, when it comes to elections and taxes and all that, Puerto Rico exists. But it's been years now, and we still are looking at Puerto Rico as a country like it's not part of our country. So he's down there doing that. But since it was the day after um, they got the rejection about what's going to happen with the uh, reconciliation bill, Obviously, he knew that was going to come up. So he's going to make a couple of comments about it during this event. So I thought I'd um, let you guys hear that as well, because not only is he not happy, um, a lot of people aren't happy. But if you heard Mitch McConnell, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, Mitch McConnell said what I said, and what is extremely obvious no matter what, right, wrong, the truth lies, the Republicans are sticking together no matter what. He even said it, but they've proven that. Why can't we stick together? We got two senators that refuse. I mean, I'm like, if you just want to be a Republican, I'd rather you be on the other side and we know you're one 
but everything we're trying to get done as a Democrat team, you will not let get done. Infrastructure is very serious, and a lot of people don't really understand how deep infrastructure is, and especially when you're talking about right now, people being at home with COVID, and uh, I did not realize how many people didn't have cable and internet. All that type of infrastructure, too, is things to make, well, we'll talk about infrastructure another time, but I just wanted to say, I, got, I want you guys to pay attention to what's happening, because a lot of this stuff isn't coincidental. Just check out what Chuck Schumer says real quick. On a parliamentary. Last night's ruling was extremely disappointing. It saddened me, it frustrated me, it angered me. Because so many lives are at stake. But, make no mistake, the fight continues. Senate Democrats have prepared alternative proposals. We'll be holding additional meetings with the parliamentarian in the coming days. I've worked very closely with my colleagues including Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Senator Durbin, as well as our, five, our four Latino senators, Adia, Menendez, Lujan, and Cortez Masto. And we're going to continue our fight with the best options available to provide immigrants with a chance of obtaining lawful residence. The last year and a half, if it showed anything, it's how vital immigrants are to America. So many were health care workers, food workers, during COVID, immigrants, documented and undocumented, risked their lives for helping to help others. And we are so proud of them, and they are so much part of America. And it is unfortunate, unfortunate, that some in the political sphere have chosen to try and make immigrants scapegoats, spreading lies about them, spreading false information about them. The American people understand how important immigrants are. Path to citizenship has broad support in the American people. I think it's up to 68% right now. And the American people understand that fixing our broken immigration system is a moral imperative. It's also an economic imperative because immigrants are so important to our economy. Talk about shortage of workers. One of the main reasons is how Trump cut back on immigrants, both documented and undocumented. Immigration reform has been one of the most important causes of my time in the Senate. I will not stop fighting to achieve it. See, that's what I'm talking about. I personally don't know that much about immigration law. I have a lot of friends who are in the legal industry that do. Um, I haven't talked to them about this. But I did want to just talk about paying attention to the quiet legislatures, the quiet decision makers. For example, what we're talking about. Now, I was proud to find out that uh, Miss McDonald was the first female in the role. But I also was kind of disappointed because I'm not really sure if she's really independent, even though they say she is. Some things aren't always how they appear. That's just what I have experienced, you know, one of the things I always tell people that a lot of the senators and Congress people are lawyers or former lawyers. A lot of legislature people are former attorneys and will go back to being them. And me being in the industry for over 30 years, I've worked with a lot of them. And ironically, in Atlanta, I've worked for some very famous politicians in the state of Georgia. I won't name them, but the fact is I've been in the environment and some of them, they say they one thing, but their actions say something different. So sometimes, you know, 
people go what was beneficial to them personally and um, financially. I hate to say it. Well, we, you know, we try to be as um, open. And I, you know, I always tell everybody I'm not a, I'm, I'm a registered Democrat proudly, but I have voted for Republicans in the past and probably will in the future. So I try to be independent pretty much. I go by what someone is saying and my research has verified. And I wanted to just bring this role of the Senate parliamentarian up because people don't see this. They see the senators and the Congress people but they don't see this person. And this is a very, very, and I do mean very um, powerful role. You know, and it says it's especially important in determining if legislation is in compliance with the Byrd Rule, which I don't know what that is, which determines what policies qualify for the budget reconciliation process. So we're talking about the money. They're trying to get these... Uh, trillions of dollars passed for President Biden so they can do a lot of infrastructure. And it really, too, will be a employment situation where a lot of jobs could be created. But with all of you at home and in the rural areas where Internet is scarce or it's not as um, available, think about this as infrastructure as well under this reconciliation uh, bill that's trying to be passed. Wow. Well, I wanted you to just hear some of the background on this. And as I said, it's a wonderful Women Wednesday. And we are talking about the first female person in this role. But I wanted you to have an idea of what the person actually does, how this is being effective. And let's just talk about immigration DACA. You know, DACA is something that we need to talk about as well. So let's talk about DACA. Okay, I mentioned DACA. You know, with this uh, ruling from the Senate uh, parliamentarian taking the immigration policy currently in the $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill, let's talk about something that is affected by that. And like I mentioned, let's talk about DACA. A lot of people say, you know, so with the setback, how does it affect DACA? What is DACA? So DACA is an acronym for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And it's the United States immigration policy that allows some individuals with unlawful presence in the United States after being brought to the country's children to receive a renewable two-year period of deferred action from deportation and become ill ineligible, I mean, excuse me, and and to become and become eligible for a work permit in the United States. Now, to be eligible for a program, recipients cannot have felonies or serious misdemeanors on their records. Now, it says, unlike the proposed DREAM Act, DACA does not provide a path to citizenship for recipients. The policy and executive branch memoranda was announced by President Barack Obama on June 15, 2012. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services became excuse me, began accepting applications for the program on August 15, 2012. It is a policy that protects around 800,000 young people known as DREAMers who entered the United States unlawfully as children. The, pro the program does not grant them official legal status 
or a pathway to citizenship, but it does allow them to apply for a driver's license, social security number, and work permit. Now, President Trump repeatedly tried to dismantle this program, as I mentioned, that was started by President Barack Obama. A federal judge ruled in December 2020 the fir that first-time DACA applicants were permitted to apply after the Trump administration stopped accepting new applications. He also extended the renewal period to two years from one year. Now, as I was looking this up, I don't know if anybody's listening to this podcast and is wondering anything about DACA, but there was an important update that was date that was talking about some changes in DACA. So I'm just going to read it since it was highlighted and bold and put in the middle of the uh, document. It was saying an important update. In July 2021, a federal judge ruled that first-time DACA applicants were barred from applying to the program. Wow. Wow, it's been confirmed that all individuals whose DACA requests were approved prior to July 16th, 2021, will continue to have DACA status and all DACA requests that were approved before July 16th will continue to be eligible to renew DACA and DACA work permits. The Department of Homeland Security will also continue to accept the filing of initial DACA and employment authorization requests, but they cannot approve initial DACA and EAD requests on account of the judge's ruling. So if you know anybody that's DACA and don't know that, tell them to go check out that new ruling that was effective July of 2021. And I was on the website, and they had some frequently asked DACA and Dreamer questions. So I wanted to read a couple of them. And, it, you know, it says that DACA recipients deserve to stay in the only home they've ever known. Take the pledge and support a pathway to citizenship. And they have a hashtag for our families. Well, I don't know about that. I'm just giving the information. And, you know, one of the questions, and we're still in the coronavirus. People keep acting like it's not still there. Actually, it's worse. And one of the questions was, Has how has the coronavirus impact the DACA recipients? And the answer was more than 200,000 DACA recipients are essential workers helping our communities survive the coronavirus, excuse me, the coronavirus crisis. This includes nearly 30,000 DACA recipient healthcare workers like doctors and nurses who are on the front lines of this response. Not only are these heroes risking their lives to protect their communities, but they're living with the incredible stress and uncertainty around the future of DACA. Wow, I didn't even think of that. See, mental health, look how all this is tying in. Mental health is, is, is real. And I didn't even think about, I mean, you know what? Let me, let me just kind of take a break and tell you the irony of this being talked about. Last night, I have a co co-worker, and she's a friend too. She was a friend first. Now she's a co-worker. And we were talking last night. This is so ironic that they're talking about the stress of the DACA uh, workers the being on the front line and stressed about if they're going to stay in America and how it can mess with your mental health. And we were talking as African-Americans, women and just African-Americans, how being Black is stressful. And it is. And it's so funny that I never even thought about this as I was doing this episode. So this, I mean, this is part of the answer of how has the coronavirus impact them. Yeah, they have the stress about being around, you know, their future, the uncertainty. 
and they must be protected and allowed to continue their um, vital service to the communities and family. And one of the other questions was, how will ending DACA impact the economy? It, and the answer was, if the Supreme Court allows allowed the Trump administration to fully end DACA and work authorizations for DREAMers, three-quarters of the roughly 22,000 jobs that will be lost, wow, that's a lot, each month will be concentrated in 12 states across the country. The economic consequences of any DACA will be sh shouldered by the states and communities where DREAMers live, particularly because recipients will no longer be allowed to work if current DACA recipients are unable to renew or maintain their work authorization, employers will be forced to terminate their employment, incurring significant turnover costs and living jobs, excuse me, and leaving jobs unfilled. You know what? I want to tell you something. I don't know how many years ago it was, but I remember in America a couple years ago, uh, the immigration community came together and they did a protest they shut down so many major states and like, especially the, oh, the West Coast, California and stuff. It was so unheard of. They had, they had a march before Black Lives Matter and all these protests march. They had a march. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was so fierce. And I was like, wow. I mean, they had people that was illegal and all. They didn't care. They came together. It was actually beautiful. And it shut down Hollywood, all the maids and the butlers and the nannies. Everybody was quitting. And I mean, celebrities was coming out, fighting for them because they was losing, you know, unfortunately, the privilege usually use immigrants to do a lot of work around the house and they were losing it. And so um, they showed then how important immigrants are for the economy in America. So mm, I guess it's a... Uh, <laughs> I guess it's really interesting when you start hitting home with uh, losing employees and stuff when some of these people maybe rethink this. But, you know, we got to still look out for this because they're still trying to, as Chuck Schumer said, they got some alternatives. I've heard some of them, but I haven't verified any of them. So pay attention to that. If you have a friend that's an immigrant or a DACA or a dreamer, you know, pay attention because stuff happened so quickly recently in the last five years. It happens behind your back. So, I just hope that this episode was informative and, and gave you some information, not just on um, the woman that we're talking about, but the role that she plays and the role that the title of her job plays and how important it is, but it's so quiet in the background for the average citizen. So like I said, I hope this uh, episode was informative and if it just gave one person information, then I feel I done my job. Well, guys, this will end this episode. And I hope that the information that you received is inspiring, uplifting, and informative. As I always say, follow us on Twitter at Advocacy Ladies. That's capital A as in Advocacy, capital L as in Ladies. And you can follow us on many of the podcast apps. We are on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, 
Alexa Tune In, and of course, my hosting podcast company, Podbean. If you have any questions or subjects you want us to look into, give us a call. We're at 404-855-7723, or you can send us an email at podcasthostshaypate19 at gmail.com. And you know my favorite question is, what do you have to say? Thank you for listening.